Hey everyone, welcome to Young Adult Catholics, a podcast for young adult Catholics. My name is Janelle. I'm Daniel. And I'm Kayan. Yeah, so to get started today, uh, we're going to be talking about why you should be Catholic and not just Christian. We have two awesome men, two seminarians joining us today. We have Anthony and Nigo. We'll go ahead and let them introduce each other. We'll start off with Anthony. Hi, my name is Anthony. I am currently at St. John's Seminary in Camarillo, studying for the Archdiocese of Los Angeles, and I'm entering my fourth year of seminary studies. And Migo? My name is Migo Roque, and I am a seminarian for the Oblates of the Virgin Mary. I just started, I just finished my first year of postulancy, and uh, currently here in sunny California for the summer, and I'm looking forward to my second year in the postulancy. I'm really happy to be with you guys today and really excited to just talk with you all. Yeah, we're, we're excited to have you guys and have some really good discussion um, and just kind of go over basic stuff of the church and truly understand why it's important to be Catholic and not just Christian. So prayer. Yeah, we'll get started in prayer. Migo? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> May Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary. Full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Most sacred heart of Jesus, pray for us. Sorrowful and immaculate heart of Mary, pray for us. Saint Joseph, pray for us. Venerable Bruno Lenteri, pray for us. Saint Bonaventure, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Alright, so to get the ball rolling, based on the topic again, why be Catholic not just Christian? We can start off with answering the question, why pray to the saints and Mary? Why not just directly to Jesus? And either of you can um, choose <laughs> to answer that question. Yeah. Okay. You go, you go first. <laughs> I was gonna, I was gonna say, Anthony, go first. <laughs> okay, so um, I guess uh, very, um, I guess to get the ball rolling, why pray to Mary? Well, Jesus gives us His Blessed Mother as our um, our spiritual mother, as an intercessor for us, as we too are share in our divine filiation, as we call it. So she intercedes for us always as our Blessed Mother, and so I know a lot of times with, and I've talked to other. Friends of mine who are Christian but not Catholic, they would ask, well, why pray to Mary if we can go directly to Jesus? And yet they have no problem like asking their friends, oh, can you pray for me? Can you pray for me? So in a certain sense, in the most basic way of looking at it, it's, you know, like turning to someone who can intercede for us directly to God. And, uh, you know, Miguel could back me on this. I know Father Ed Broom, he talks a lot about Mary as the fastest way to Jesus is through Mary because she is the one who remained faithful and she was always there with Jesus and you know, as, um, as his blessed mother. And so we turn to her as an intercessor, someone who joins us in prayer to the Lord to help us in whatever it is we need. Yeah, uh, I think you make a great point, Anthony. You know, it's just, if you think about the person that Jesus loves the most, you know, in the purely human sense, who would you think of, you know? And, you know, my first guess would be Mary because we all love our moms and think we uh there's no other person that could love mary more than jesus could you know and i think we have as catholics we have this special bond with mary because 
uh, we see it in scripture so oftentimes uh you know she's the new eve and as jesus is the new adam from scripture right she's the new eve and yeah i, I think it points out to the fact that uh we yeah, we turn to mary and we turn we turn to mary to go to her son to jesus christ and i think that's that's the most awesome way and you just feel loved by mary <laughs> you know you, you just can't deny just can't deny that yeah yeah i always yeah. find it interesting how a lot of protestants would really focus on how like saint joseph was there for jesus but they don't hold the same kind of you don't hold the same kind of honor to mother mary which is it just kind of confuses me like you know if saint joseph was there but what about mother mary who actually gave birth to jesus and can you guys also speak a little bit on like the different like the three levels of worship or honor right it's like latria dunia you guys know what i'm talking about <laughs> latria what like latria and dunia or hyperdulia which is like the different like one of them is specifically for just for saints and then i think dulia is the one for um, mama mary and then hyperdulia i think it's the one for god that's like the only, like the worship that's specifically only for God. While the other two are just like honors. I'm not in theology yet, so I don't know. I'm just in philosophy. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm looking at. I'm, I'm gonna search the Catholic answers and trying to get an idea of that because I don't. This is the first time I've heard those specific terms about worship. How about you, Kay? And just can you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. So I remember in my religion classes, for those of you who don't know, I um, attended a private school Catholic education from K through 12. Um, and they brought that up a lot as um, an answer also as to like why we pray to Mary. We don't, we don't worship her like we do with God, but rather like she's an intercessor, right? But she has a specific honor because she was the mother of God and she's the perfect disciple and she's in Eve and that's why like Julia is the name is the Latin word for um the kind of honor that she has. While hyper Julia is the one only reserved for God and then Latria I believe is the only one for the saint. Um mm. so it's another way of also showing kind of like a hierarchy but also just showing the level and the strength from the saints and Mary and God. Yeah, I think you make yeah it that definitely makes sense. Uh, using an analogy, I just, I suggest using an analogy with, you know, with Mary, you know, who would you ask a favor from, for example, uh, you know, you want to go out with your friends, you know, you kind of first want to mention it to your older sister, maybe to your, you know, cause she's in a more better standing with you, with your parents, you know, she, she's, she's here and then your parents are here. And then you're you're here right here, you know, and so you kind of want to go somewhere, you know, you want to meet her, but then you know she she would speak on your behalf, and I think I I, I just made that up, you know, <laughs> and then I think <laughs> I like that analogy. <laughs> you know, it's a good analogy, right? Yeah, <laughs> definitely, it makes sense. Yeah, this um, guy. Yeah. Another question that um, we could ask also to continue with the ball rolling, I'm pretty sure you guys would be very passionate about this. Like, why do we believe that um, the Eucharist is the body and blood 
you know, like all about soul divinity. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Like, how, what's it this thing? Yeah, the question that we got specifically on that is like, why do you believe that when God is everywhere? So, how would you guys mm-hmm. answer that? I mean, you just straight up from scripture john chapter 6 uh bread of life discourse uh it's all there <laughs> you know there's the crowds gathering looking for food and looking for answers and jesus specifically said if you eat my flesh and drink my blood not symbolically but if you eat my flesh and drink my blood you'll gain eternal life i think it says it Plain and simple right there. Yeah, I mean, what do you think, Anthony? Oh, there's a lot I can say about this, but uh, I was just looking at the catechism. So I think in a paragraph 1333, it kind of begins talking about the Eucharist in the economy of salvation. So how is mm. the Eucharist part of our salvation? Um, and basically it points to, so like the signs of bread and wine point towards um, the first first offerings that in traditional Israel they would offer as kind of first roots to God and thanksgiving for their harvest and everything that comes from the Lord. And so by Jesus kind of saying that I am the bread of life, it's kind of referring back to the Old Testament when Israel depended on the bread to sustain them in the desert. So like, you know, I'm, you know, your fathers ate the bread that sustained them, but I'm the bread of life. I am that which sustains us. As far as the real presence, I mean, that in itself is an act of faith. And so like that takes us, like your reason can come to the conclusion that God is truly present by the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, the, so in, in mass, when during the, um, the epiclesis, when the priest calls on the Holy Spirit to change the bread and wine into the body, blood, soul, divinity of Christ, that is a work of God. And then in the Eucharist, it is, you know, it is an act of remembrance or anamnesis, remembering God's salvific work in, in our redemption from sin and restoring us to our, restoring us to union, full, you know, union and original, what God has called us to. So in the catechism, I mean, there's a lot in it, but I guess with a lot of Protestants, it's always, I guess for them, it's um, how do you know it's present? I don't know if that's exactly what the question is or where they're coming from with that, because there's a lot you can go with it, but I don't want to just ramble on about all sorts of stuff without actually answering the question. Yeah. I, I think you make a good distinction between an act of reason and an act of faith, because one one thing, yeah, this is so unreasonable. Why? What are you, what do you mean I have to eat your flesh and drink your blood? What do you mean? But on the other hand, the act of faith says, you know, that the reason suggests that the act of faith is necessary and you need to make that leap of faith, you know? And so, yeah, that that's a great distinction that you make there. I, I really like that, yeah. How would you guys respond to like someone saying, isn't that cannibalism then, right? Like you're eating someone else? Uh, well, that's where the act of faith comes in. You know, I think, yeah, that distinction. Yes, this looks unreasonable. And you could look at scripture. You know, they say there's a lot of people that doubted, you know, Jesus saying, what, what do you mean we need to eat your flesh? Uh, you know, I think they're asking the same question. Do you mean we're carnivores? Carnivores, you know, or you know, we're no cannibals. You know, <laughs> do you, do you think we're cannibals? But I answer that, yeah, you need to make that act of faith. And you know, a person who makes that act of faith so majestically, so wonderfully, is Peter during the same scene, John chapter six, 
uh, you know, Jesus asked him, and I'm talking, I'm reasoning it based on a, on a scriptural uh, answer, you know. So yeah. I, I think it's, it's definitely unreasonable, but not so far to say, uh, what's the word? Hey, I don't know. Could you complete my sentence? <laughs> sure. So I, I looked up, you know, the meaning of cannibalism and dictionary to kind of get an idea of what we, because we had to first understand our terms, you know, because mm-hmm. before we start castigating people for, un, you know, so with cannibalism, you're, it's eating the flesh of a human being or an animal of some kind or whatever. So basically you're eating the flesh of an animal. So while yes, we do believe that in the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. The accidents, or at least philosophically, you would call it accident, meaning the exterior thing that which we sense. In the Eucharist, it's still, it appears to us as, as bread and wine. Mm-hmm. Yet when we consume it, we, we know that by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is Jesus giving himself freely as a gift through the accidents of bread and wine that we can actually consume. Wow. So I've heard priests say, you know, like, so why is it, so where is it not cannibalism? Well, if he gave us his actual body and blood, we can actually probably get sick mm-hmm. more than anything. So through the bread and wine, it's something that we can actually can eat, I guess, from a very basic standpoint. Yeah. Um, but also when we consume the Eucharist, at least in cannibalism, you're consuming like an actual body that's dead. Mm-hmm. Whereas God, you know, he's, you know, Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered death. And so in receiving the Eucharist, we're not exactly participating in some kind of like ritualistic killing of, uh, of some yeah. of, of a body, but rat or some of a person. Rather, Jesus transformed himself as a gift of self. So, and that in and of itself is a divine mystery. You know, why, why would God do that? Because that is the divine love which he gives us. And even at the, in the institution of the Eucharist in, um, you know, at the Last Supper, you know, when he says, take this, all of you and eat it, you know, this is my blood of the new covenant. You know, it's, it's remembrance of God's unwavering faithfulness to us because they're, you know, Jesus at that point knew he was going to die. But how is he going to remain with us? And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he can continue that salvific work in us through the grace of the Eucharist. Wow. <laughs> I mean, that's more or less how I would articulate and just kind of allow the people to wrestle with it, you know. But yeah, at the end of the day, it is an act of faith. Yes. Tremendous faith. Yeah. That's that's such a mixture of faith and reason, you know. I, I took yes. a faith and reason class last semester, and there are distinctions between you know each uh area but then there is an overlap or uh like you know what you reason out perfectly summarizes you know what you what the uh eucharist is you know an act of faith but still reasonable yeah can i follow up i just want to make a really quick clarification that i just realized it's just the holy spirit outside of my head when i was talking about the different kinds of worship really quick with the Levels is actually dulia for the saints, hyperdulia for Mama Mary, and then latria. For mm. And the reason is that dulia means veneration, and then hyperdulia is just like even more veneration, <laughs> and then latria is literally like sacrificial worship. So I'm so sorry for like mi- mixing that up, but yeah, I just want to make that clarification. How dare you? <laughs> oh, um, I know. I feel pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. I did want to say, comment just thought before moving on to our next question um, on this topic is that for those who are listening, um, as 
Ego and Anthony are explaining. Uh, this is why it's super important to be in the state of grace when receiving Holy Communion. You know, that mm. is the body and blood of Jesus Christ. Um, this is why confession is important. Um, and, and, I mean, that's something we can go into, too, at the end of this. Uh, but I just wanted to wrap it up, that section up with that. Is realizing the importance. Um, it's not just it's not just bread and wine. You know, that's the body and blood of Christ. So, moving on to thanks. To you yeah. And it was a pretty heavy question. And I know that's why you guys spent many years in formation learning about that. So, thanks for being able to sum it up um, in a way where our audience can hear. Um, the next question. So, so Protestants they usually believe that like once saved, always saved, or something like that. So, can you guys explain? why we believe in that because it's like the Protestant saying right like, like a way to like um clarify it is once you're baptized if you're baptized you're already saved like you're going straight to heaven right after that no matter what you do even if you're yeah. living for years yeah. after that so like how would you explain like that's not fair. you know like our understanding of the sacraments is um different from how Protestants would believe about baptism in that Oh, there's two two points I kind of want to make. The first one is a practical one. Uh, who here could say that since as a kid, did they ever commit a sin? You know, I, I think, yeah, that's why. Yeah, so that's the first question I have for people who are asking that. The second one is just an action, just to read the book of James. I think there's a lot of theological insight uh, pertaining to that question i'm trying to remember the verse 217 i think is it where jesus no not, not 224. Jesus. 224 okay yeah could you could, do you have it with you right now is it the discourse on faithful that works is dead yes yeah yeah so it begins at um i guess james chapter 2 verse 14 you know what does it profit if a man has says he has faith but not works and can his faith save him so the actual verse you know you see in uh, verse 24, you see that a man is justified by works and not by faith alone. Um, so I, I was actually looking through one of my assignments for my Pauline literature class where we read the letters of Paul. So like there's that, so one of a question in Pauline literature, at least the debate is, well, so what's, are you saved by? By the faith of Christ, by your own faith, by works? Because, you know, Paul, St. Paul's background, you know, he was a faithful Jew. So he was familiar with the Mosaic law and you know, and Mosaic Law is very much focused on the external behaviors that ought to manifest, you know, in, in love of God. So they kind of like this, uh, I guess, external purity that ought to flow into the internal, you know, into the soul. So I guess with like justification, um, primarily you are saved by the faith, you know, you're saved by faith, like faith in Christ and in Christ and Christ and Jesus' faith in the Father to do, you know, to do his will in order you know, to take all of sin and to redeem us from the eternal consequences of sin and to be, you know, and to be in heaven with, with our Lord. But with regard to work, like you're like doing it, you know, all our works should flow from our faith in God. If we truly love, you know, because part of the great commandment to love God and to love neighbor, you can say you love God, but it has to manifest, but the love of God flows in through our neighbor, at least genuinely. And so, you know, with faith that works, it's, it's not only about doing good works because there is good in doing it and we should be doing it, but that comes from a place of love because God is love, as St. John reminds us. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think a counter rejoinder to that uh, would be, I think somewhere in Romans, Paul mentions that 
you need faith, not works, or something. I forget the line specifically, but it looks like Paul is saying, no, you don't need works, you know. But then there is the answer to that, rejoin to that, uh, my question myself is there's a distinction between what Paul refers to works and what James refers to works, right? Because Paul refers to works as works of the law, which is, you know, the Mosaic law. Mosaic uh, law. Yes. And so, you know, there's a highly heated debate at that time going on if you do need to get circumcised or not. And I, you know, I can assure you that Paul is referring to that debate specifically to the Mosaic law, not to the works in which James was referring to. And so, yeah, it validates your point, uh, Anthony. Wow. I learned a lot just there. <laughs> <laughs> so how would you guys respond to someone who says, how do you validate that the church, the Catholic church is the one true church? Like it's authority. I look to Matthew 16. I forgot the verse. 15, 16, 15, is it? But Matthew 16 says... You are Peter. Yes, yeah. You are Peter. I call you Peter. Yes, yeah. I call you Peter and upon this rock. And interesting, what the what uh, scholars would say is in the original Greek text, it would say you are Pet Petra and upon this Petros. Petros, I will build my church. So the Protestants would say, Oh, I got you. See, it does it's not the same thing. Rock, Peter and rock is not the same thing. But you have to look at the original language that Jesus spoke, Aramaic. And in an Aramaic, uh, it's the same word for rock. You know, you are rock and upon this rock, I will build my church. And of basing our Catholic foundation upon that. And yeah, do you want to add more to that, Anthony? Um, what is there to add? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so as far as the church and I, you know, we see that our, our apostolic succession goes all the way back to the New Testament, you know, begin with Peter. And, and from Peter, you know, we see it in the Acts of the Apostles, he appoint, you know, after Peter, there is a succession and appointing, um, I think they use the word presbyteros or overseers. And so they, as he preaches, as St. Paul, you know, he preaches to the communities, the first, uh, the apostles, they go out. So apostle comes from the Greek word for messenger, someone who's sent out. And so when they're sent out, they, you know, they carry the word of God and they build these communities and they get, and they preach the gospel and the people congregate to worship and like the kind of the initial church essentially. And so we see that a lot of time, the succession goes back to St. Peter ultimately. And, um, you know, the election of a Pope, so to speak, um, wasn't, I don't think it was really formalized so much later as we know it now, but the very roots of it go back to the New Testament. And even, and you can go to any, like historically speaking, if we see evidence of that, not just in yeah. the New Testament, but then in history as well. Whereas a lot of Protestant churches like, and the thing with that is it gets very tricky if you ask like, okay, so where is your church founded? And you say, well, it's founded in Christ, but it was revealed to this man, blah, blah, blah. And it gets a bit shaky there. Mm -hmm. um, so that's why, so like we see that with apostolic succession um, in the papacy. And and even, I think, even Jesus says, you know, the gates of Hades will never prevail against you. I think later in that passage when he calls Peter. So the God will remain in his church and it's and the sign of that is the fact that over two thousand years the church still remains, despite all the bad popes or 
corruption and the fact that it's you know it's made of human beings who will fall. And even Peter, the first pope, you know, we call him rock, and yet he was the same Peter that denies Jesus three times after he says, "I will, you know, I will die for you." And so, to me, that's I guess like signs that say, "Well, I guess like I guess that turn the table and say, well, how is it not?" Like I'll place the burden proof there and see what what comes out of it. Yeah, uh, just a personal story. I think I was and Oscar was there with me too. Uh, we were studying early Christianity in Castell Long Beach, and uh, yeah, we were reading the works of the early church fathers, Ignatius. I'm blanking. <laughs> Who else is there? Uh, Irenaeus, uh, you know, and Polycarp. And interestingly, one of the there's a Protestant used to be a preacher. He's saying, wow, I can't believe the church was so Catholic, you know, and with all its uh, rituals and it's just an over, like you said, an overwhelming evidence and historical fact that the early church was indeed Catholic. Yeah, for those of you who don't know, Oscar's my brother. He studied religious studies. Oh, yeah, sorry, yeah. He's studying religious studies at Migo at Cal State Long Beach. Yes, yeah. I I wanted to follow up with a question on that. So we talked about why um the church, you know, the one two one two church or like whatnot. I just wanted to touch bases on how like Protestantism didn't start until about five hundred years ago with mm-hmm. uh the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, Luther, right? Was Martin, Martin Luther the first or correct me if I'm wrong. No, it was Martin Luther. Yeah. No, no, it was Martin Luther King Jr. That's good. No. <laughs> <laughs> Dang, son. Dang, son. Yeah. Um, okay, so Martin Luther, right? He's the separation. So I guess for Protestants, I guess, listening to this, like, if you look back to the history, like, yours, your religion was created by man, created by Jesus. And I wanted to do a quick follow-up question, too. Not quick, but uh, when... Is the Catholic Church the only way to salvation? Um, <laughs> the only way, there's so many uh, arguments about that. I think I'll go to Vatican II with that uh, and say that there is a, this, yes, we believe that we are all saved, saved as human beings by Jesus Christ alone. Uh, it doesn't mean that you have to believe, and this is the controversial part uh, that the Vatican II says, is that you don't have to believe in Catholicism per se. Now, what, what do I mean by that? Uh, and it's those, say, for example, there's a person of faith that did not have a chance to uh, hear the message of of God, you know, thinking about uh, Hindus in the Himalayas, you know, for example. You know, how about them? Well, the church says, yes, we believe that they have a chance to salvation as well they they have a chance to eternal life um and i i I think that that's 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 all i'm thinking about well 
could you talk about that, Anthony? Maybe you know more. You're in theology. Yeah. <laughs> huh, the eternal objection. Um, so I remember in my fundamental theology class, uh, we were, we, uh, we talked about the question. Um, so in Latin, the phrase is uh, extra ecclesia nulla salus. So outside of the church, there is no salvation, which is first mentioned by St. Cyprian of Carthage. Mm. Um, and so what, and then I think Vatican II, they mentioned that again, um, that's, or they refer to it. Um, so basically the church, as far as I remember learning it, um, the church understands this as that the grace of salvation, the surest and the fullness of the graces of salvation come from the Catholic church. In, in whom Christ is truly present. And so if the Protestant says, well, can I be saved? In a certain sense, you could say yes, but if it is, if they are saved, it is because of the graces of Christ. Because only, you know, because in Christ alone, you know, as you know, Christ revealed, it is only through him, because I am the way, the truth, and the life. Yeah. And, and no one comes to the Father except through me, as we heard, I think it was yesterday at Daily Mass for the, the gospel. And so if someone is saved implicitly, it's because of because God and his divine will and mystery makes it so. But it comes in the fullness in the surest way is through the church, through whom the Christ has revealed this truth. So that's essentially what it means is that through. So if a Protestant says like, oh, well, can I still be saved through a Christian church? Um, I mean, I'm not God, so I don't I can't really answer that other yeah. than, well, we, we could we there's no reason why we shouldn't assume it. But if we know the fullest and the surest way to God is through the church in whom Christ is truly present, then why wouldn't you? And also even in the universal sacrament of salvation, at least for the church, she's been entrusted to bring the mission of the gospel to all people so that they may be saved and be brought back in union with God. And so it is in the church's mission to continue to preach. And so, so it is because that is what God has entrusted to go out to all nations to preach. And so that, you know, those who may know me may be saved and those who believe in me. And so outside the church, there's no salvation. It's kind of a, there's, yeah, it's very clear about what we mean by outside of the church in that sense. But I guess that's kind of the crux of the matter of do it, but that, I'll leave it at that for now. Um, just to bounce an from Nico regarding that, in fact, the question that I personally wondered too, like for those who have been catechized, those who have been evangelized, you know, I think something we have to remember we're, we're blessed to have been brought up in this public faith, we're blessed to have known about the church authority, but also, I mean, we also have to remember, like, we're not the kind of church, you know, like, we could, we could say things based on, like, what we've been taught and what we understand, but, like, we have to remember that ultimately it's between the person and God and what's it called? Like Anthony brought up like a great theologian, like the nation did, honestly. Um yeah, just like going back again, like, like what what helps me understand is just like remembering that like God's the ultimate judge. Um, I just wanted to read an excerpt um it's just in conclusions in that one by Bishop Athanasius Schneider, who uh, commented, so um, it's in conversation with Diane Montagna, and she asked, isn't it, is it true, isn't it, that non-Christians, when they are faithful to their own consciousness, can be justified by the grace of God? And so Bishop replies with, indeed, someone who is following his conscience 
in invincible ignorance can be saved through the blood of Christ in which way, in ways which only God knows. And so I, I just felt like to, to follow up with that, um, with, especially with Anthony was saying, Amigo was saying that, um, at the end of the day, it's, it's ways of only which God knows. Mm-hmm. Um, I just know that, you know, our teaching is that the way to salvation is Christ, his church, the Catholic church, and there are no, religions, no religious rites or religious signs um, that are pleasing to God the Son. So again, I mean, what you guys were saying is that it goes back to God and his ways, and his ways are not always known to us. Mm-hmm. One more question. I'm not sure if we need to wrap it up yet, but um, one more question. I remember that that's like branch off from like why we can't be not Christian is um, what do you have to say about well, edit this one. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Could you could you put your mic closer or something? I, I could barely hear you. I'm sorry. Okay. Can you hear me now? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's much better. Okay. Great. <laughs> so the question is, some someone had a concern that like if they become Catholic, like they they're they were brought up Protestant non-denominational Christian, if they become Catholic, they're scared, they have a fear that their relationship with God um, will become less. And for some background regarding that, I think it's also because of like testimonies of maybe like Catholics who are brought up in the church, but never formed that personal relationship with God because they never learned how to. They're only taught like the law of the church, the different rules and um, the teachings, but not so much of like creating relationships so, um, how would you respond to the concern of being Catholic means having a lesser relationship with God or a lesser relationship with Jesus? I think the, um, the concern is, is there definitely. Uh, I, I see and understand her or him, <laughs> you know, that situation. I think one needs to make a distinction again. Uh, between the sacraments of the church versus the people of the church. One could see how it could be related, but it doesn't necessarily mean that one stems, the sacrament stems the people, you know, uh, and because there's gonna always be bad apples in, in the church. And that's, that's a, recorded fact in the bible you know and we have a bishop that's publicly that was killed you know suicide committed suicide and that's judas you know and i think there's always gonna be uh people who are are bad in the church and you know we've seen it in history but then uh yeah i think i invite that person to meditate and to reflect especially the scriptural evidence for the sacraments i think that personally that helped me a lot uh, and i think that's a great source of seeing where jesus would invite that person to that sa- that certain sacrament of the church and i think it's a beautiful way of looking at it yeah yeah i was thinking about the question the person asked saying that uh Oh, my relationship will be blessed. Is just to clarify, when they say my the relationship 
like would be lessened or decreased? Are they referring to their personal relationship with Jesus or, or what? Yeah, their personal relationship with Jesus. Like they think like I'm not hundred percent sure, but like I'm assuming that it's like they'll be doing all these different rituals that it won't be so much focused on like that personal aspect. Um, because I know that like uh, non-denominational Christians, they're really taught to really first that relationship with God, know who He is, know about how merciful and loving He is, and that's how they create from the get-go. It's already the personal relationship. Well, some Catholics I know may grow up um, going to church every single day, maybe reading the Bible sometimes with their family, or being told what's right and wrong from the Ten Commandments, and never having oh i see um yeah because i noticed with a lot of non-denominational christian they a lot of their faith is kind of based on this very individual relationship at least and then when they see the catholics they see the liturgies the sacraments uh, it, it seems to take away from that but i think but that's just the way i see it like one that's just one dimension of the of the picture because like with prayer, we see that as it's, there's a vertical relationship, so to speak, and a horizontal. The vertical is, you know, yes, us and God, us as individual, you know, you, me, Migo, you know, and all of us, you know, we have our individual relationship with God. But at the same time, we're also relational beings as who we are in our nature. And, you know, the theology body, you know, would reaffirm that, I think, as far as, you know, we're like that we don't really know ourselves unless we, we need someone else. And we and we find the fullness of it in, in Christ, but we also need community. You know, people, a communion of saints, and community with whom we can manifest. You know, our love for neighbor and God. And so, prayer, that relationship with Jesus, is strengthened not just through ourselves, through our own effort, but through the efforts and the the communal life that exists in the church. And so, even I think related, I think you guys mentioned something about conscience. You know, like, well, can a good person who follows their conscience go to heaven? Well. In a certain sense, yes, but that conscience has to be formed and has to take, and being formed required, it takes time to, you know, to wrestle with the truth and assent to it. Um, I know, I think Pope John Paul II in his encyclical, Veritati Splendor, you know, the splendor of truth, you know, explained, it's kind of the foundation for a lot of Catholic, if not all of Catholic moral theology talking about, like, yes, in us is an inherent capacity to know what is good and evil, but it has to be formed and it has to be, and the magisterium is at the service of that conscience to guide and to ensure that our relationship with God is that of like genuine faith and it's not going to err and it's going to allow us to fulfill the commandment that Jesus told us, which is to love God and to love thy neighbor. So with the relationship lesson, I think that comes down to our choice personally. Like, do we make the effort to form our conscience or to form a prayer life of some kind and to allow ourselves to you know, I guess wrestle with those kind of questions because life is that, is that journey, that adventure with God to come to know him and to come to know ourselves. So I don't think it, if there's a temptation to lessen, I think it's more on our part to not wanting to go further in the relationship and just kind of saying, okay, well, I'm in the church. So they're just going to, I'm in, I'm here. It's like, no, it's, you're there. But if anything, that's just the beginning of that, that call. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. We just want to wrap it up with one more question uh, from uh, our Instagram poll and everything. Question uh, was, what are your thoughts on the Gnostic gospel? 
I don't even know what that is. Yeah, we don't know what it is. Yeah. I read uh, the Gospel of Thomas back in my undergrad. And I'm going to just say this to you guys. That thing is weird. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, it talks about uh, different stories of Jesus. I think the Gospel of Mary, uh, referring to Mary Magdalene, uh, I think includes a childhood narrative that we don't see in the synoptics or in the Gospel of John. And I think ultimately there's always, it goes back to the canonized books of the, of the New Testament and who canonized it and what were the requirements of a canonized book. And I, I think that, is that what your question refers to? Yeah, I think so. Because like, I think personally for the three of us, like we don't know what the Gnostic Gospels are. Not at all. Um, <laughs> I've I've heard it mentioned once, just like regarding like the books, as you were saying, like that were um, chosen to be canonized and be put in the put in the Bible or like to be excluded from the Bible. But yeah, I think that's what they're referring to. Just like what your thoughts are on. I guess before we go into like, well, what is the Gnostic Gospel? I think it's important first to first understand what Gnosticism is. So mm. Gnosis coming from Greek means knowledge. So they're so for Gnostics, they're for them, at least fundamentally, they believe that salvation comes through knowledge. Like if you know how to free your free yourself from this earth, which is considered like the material world is evil and God is, you know, the spiritual, which is immaterial, then you have to find a way to free yourself uh from that material world. And so I guess with Gnostic Gospels it's I guess tied to i guess like this war between god and satan and stuff like that but i don't know the gospel i've never heard of the gospel gospel until now like janelle said so this all this is i'm still trying to understand but that's kind of like i guess the basic under the part of the discussion of what narcissism is it's well i don't need grace to be saved if i know of the gospel truth of what it is to be saved then i am saved but um, it's yeah like miguel said it's it sounds very weird but i'm kind of looking through it right now and I'm still trying to, I'll need some time to really read it and figure what it is because I have no idea what it is, to be honest. It's so, it's got, it's kind of like a weird branch of fideism, kinda, you know, just faith in Jesus only. But here it's, you know, only knowledge will suffice. Uh, it, it's interesting stuff, but then I, you know, like I said, you know, there's reasons why the church picked the, New Testament books and the gospel. And yeah, I, I think part of it is because they're not weird. <laughs> <You know>? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your input yeah. and your yeah. honesty and just your knowledge and wisdom. We both, I mean, all three of us, yeah. <laughs> or three of us, um, we really <laughs> learned a lot from you guys. We really hope that our listeners watchers will too. So again for um those listening and watching please I put any your thoughts or comments or questions in um the comment section below and um, we'll try to create like this source list so you guys can um know the different things that we're talking about because we touched upon a lot of different yeah. topics <laughs> for this community. Thank you so so much. Um and so now, um Anthony if you Please close us in prayer.
Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we give you thanks, Almighty God, for all the gifts that you give us and all the opportunities in which we can grow in holiness and in our relationship with you. We ask that you continue to guide us, protect us from all evil, and help those who help our unbelief, as like it's in the Gospels it said. And we ask you to intercede for all those who are struggling in their faith and struggling to know you, that through your mercy and your love, they may come to see you in all that they do. And all those who are in need of prayers, let us turn to our Blessed Mother as we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Yeah.